Two years after Scott Lang, aka Ant-Man, was placed on house arrest due to his involvement with the Avengers in violation of the Sokovia Accords, Hank Pym and his daughter Hope Van Dyne briefly managed to open a tunnel to the Quantum Realm. They believe Pym's wife Janet Van Dyne might be trapped there after shrinking to subatomic levels back in 1987. When he had previously visited the Quantum Realm, Scott Lang had unknowingly become quantum entangled with Janet and now he receives an apparent message from her. With only days left of house arrest, Lang contacts Pym about Janet despite the strained relationship they have due to Lang's actions with the Avengers. Hope and Pym kidnap Lang, leaving a decoy so as not to arouse suspicion from FBI agent Jimmy Woo. Believing the message from Janet to be confirmation that she is alive, the trio now work to build a stable tunnel so they can take a vehicle to the Quantum Realm and retrieve her. They arrange to buy a part needed for the tunnel from black market dealer Sonny Birch, who has realized the potential profit that can be earned from Pym's research and double-crosses them. Donning the Wasp outfit, Hope fights off Birch and his men until she is attacked by a quantum unstable masked woman. Lang tries to help fight off this ghost, but the woman escapes with Pym's lab, which has been shrunk down to the size of a suitcase. Ciao my people and welcome to our 59th episode of Happiness and Darkness, a superhero movie podcast where we cover superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally there will be spoilers folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts DJ Nick and today we'll be discussing Ant-Man and the Wasp. And joining me to discuss this sequel to our Microscopic Avengers first adventure is once again an esteemed and august personage. Joining us from his temple, high in the Watagon Mountains, is the High Priest of Conchu, Ray. Hey Ray, how you doing? Under, under Conchu's eye, Nick, under Conchu's eye, praise be to you as to all the others. Um, we're a happy band here. Uh, um, my brothers, if you can please just, uh, yeah, any, anyway, uh, I'm very happy to be here, Nick. Uh, as, as you mentioned, it's my second time. Uh, uh, fellas, can you, can you please uh, keep it down? Under Conch's eye, everybody. Uh, yeah, thanks, Nick. <laughs> well, you said <laughs> and, you got them trained. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, Conchu is a vengeful god, so we all live in fear. But uh, hey, that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're very, very happy to have you, of course, joining us today. And, you know, we, of course, you know, we had you, of course, to talk about the, the first Ant-Man movie. Today, of course, we're reviewing Ant-Man and the Wasp from 2018, directed once again by Peyton Reed, written by Chris McKenna, Eric Summers, Paul Rudd, Andrew Barra and Gabriel Ferrari. The original score was by Christoph Beck, the brother of actually known musician Chili Gonzalez. And an estimate, to put it into 2020 money, Ray, this movie cost around 167 million to make and made 644 million at the box office. So definitely quite the quite the um, the takings, I should say. So when it actually comes to this sequel, you know, on your rewatch, uh, what what were your initial thoughts about this film compared to, should we say, the first outing of Ant Man? Uh, yeah, very interesting, actually. I was thinking about this and, and how to kind of frame it for you, Nick. It, it is a very interesting thing. Like, my first initial watch of it was in the cinemas, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and, and I was very excited because, 
um, as as listeners who may have listened to the one that we did before of Ant Man, um, I'm a big fan of that film. Uh, I just love the the affable nature of Paul Rudd and and the, a different kind of superhero. Um, mm. So yeah, I mean, so when I first watched it in the cinema, I must say I was pretty deflated, I guess, mm. by by the quality of it. Um, right. I I guess because I had such high hopes because of the first one. Um, and I enjoyed the first one so much. Uh, I found uh, the second one a little, um, I don't know, just a little bit too much in there for me. And it tried to replicate some stuff of the, uh, like one of my little pet peeves, Nick, is yeah. when um, sequels try to just blatantly replicate what they did in the first, in the original. Right. Um, and whether that be kind of like uh, like a sense of humour or, or, you know, pushing those one-liners. Uh, that's kind of what I felt. But on my rewatch, though, Nick, interestingly enough, from my rewatch, I, I enjoyed this a lot more because I guess I knew what to expect. Uh, it still is not as good as the first one, I believe. Um, but there's a lot in there for Ant-Man fans uh, and, and Wasp fans. Mm, very true. And, and I actually were wondering this. When you first saw this film, had you already become a dad or not yet? Uh, so, so when uh, the first film, no I, no, I don't believe I had. That was pre-2018, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Mm, yeah, yeah, because this yeah, film yeah. came out 2018. So you, you, hadn't been a, you hadn't become a father by that time. No, no. Uh, yes. Yeah, because I, I asked that because... They're obviously, the recurring and main theme in this film, you know, at least from what I've seen, is the father-daughter relationship. Yes. You know, because um, and we get quite a few of those. So I thought, you know, this could actually be a, an ideal way to approach this film and also look at our characters putting it into that context because we have a lot of parental relationships, mainly father-daughter, but also you have, you know, it's all about family. You know, we'd also seen this, I yeah. guess, a little bit in the first film. Um, I, you know, I, I have to kind of agree with you. I, I wouldn't maybe say repetitive. I think in some parts I found it underwhelming when mm -hmm. it came to the odds, should we say, or the stakes in this film. Yes. Because the first one, I would say, you know, obviously we had some decent stakes because obviously you have basically the um, Ant-Man's opposite number in the yellow jacket. Here, mm -hmm. it was all about we have to get Janet back and the, uh, I guess, everything running around the MacGuffin, which was the, the lab, pretty much. It was all mm -hmm. about the lab and who's going to get the lab and how are we going to get this lab and maybe ma making tick, I think. You know, let's start with himself then, of course, reprising his role once again as Scott Lang Ant-Man, Paul Rudd, of course. Now, when it came to, to Paul Rudd in this film and the, the Scott Lang character, compared to the, the first film, Ray, what did you make of, 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 of Paul in this and, you know, Scott Lang? Oh, um, I, th I think he's still, he's still very solid and very consistent as that kind of character. He, he does come off as, um, I mean, he was in the first one as well, but I was about to say he comes off as a little bit more goofy in this mm. only because he's offset by, um, by the Wasp. And, and I want to give a huge shout out to, um, to Evangeline Lilly as the Wasp as well, because we finally get to see her in action. And that was one of the highlights for me. So um, to see her so assertive and, and so kind of well-trained uh, was really cool. Um, Paul Rudd, of course, he was the, the foil. He was like the comedic kind of mm -hmm. um, half of that team. Uh, uh, but I thought he was really good. I thought his interactions with, with Cassie, uh, and you mentioned about that kind of 
fam- familial and father-daughter relationship. Yeah, one of actually the things of watching the the sequel was, I mean, although I have a son, you know, it, it's still th- there is still this kind of protectiveness, um, this change of perce- perception, I mm-hmm. guess, that I have when I became a dad, and and so I, I just empathise a bit more with and his plight with Cassie in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Paul Rudd was was fantastic. I think. I mean, his comedic timing's great. Uh, he uh, he can do. I mean, he can do action. Um, but he's still kind of, to me, he 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 gave off a little bit of a um, a Steve McQueen kind of cheeky um, action star vibe. I like that. That's that's a great mm. comparison. I mean, you know, obviously compared to where we'd left Scott, you know, when we saw him in Ant-Man, what I think is great about this movie is it doesn't kick off exactly where we'd left him as you think about it, because obviously Ant-Man was the 12th MCU movie and this is the 20th. So <laughs> a lot has happened in the MCU universe at large. And obviously, you know, I, we'd, we'd actually talked about this a little bit in our first one, the Civil War event in which Scott had been involved in. And of course, we're also on the tail end of Infinity war which we will get to and here we have a man i think who's trying to juggle quite a few things at once because on one side he's doing his best to be a good father to cassie by keeping her entertained as best he can and on the other he's keeping trying to keep himself entertained because now obviously he's on house arrest and he's down to his last three days of that following of course his involvement in civil war and the violation of the sokovia accords Added to this, you know, we also have he's had this falling out with Hope and Hank Pym because of the aforementioned events. And he is now called upon to help them bring, like, you know, as we mentioned, Janet Van Dyne back from the quantum realm. Not to mention, at the same time, he's also a business partner with Luis Daven Kurt. And they're trying to get their security company off the ground. Obviously, what are ex-cons going to do? Of course, a security company, (laughs) naturally. Who knows it better than them? So I, th- I think he's definitely being pulled in certain in different directions. Yes. But I think surprisingly, he's able to work everything out. And I think he's even more so our everyman in, in this film. As mm, you know, the yes. challenge. You know, you were mentioning about relating to him as being a dad. So there's that as well. And also, I think he is our eyes and ears when it comes to the bigger picture of quantum entanglement and the quantum realm and meeting up with these, you know, genius level scientists and these insane things that happen. So I think he is very much the everyman in the MCU. So yeah. let's get to. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, so, sorry, Nick. I was about to say, yeah, and to, to, to further that point as well, I mean, even if you see him in the film, uh, the roles he take, uh, he very much states it as the everyman. Not only is he, like, um, I guess a bit more laid back than, say, when it comes to donning the suit and, and having the quippy remarks, uh, but he's also, even if you look at it amongst these geniuses and stuff, um, he, he's unaware that he gets uh, possessed, so to speak, by, by Janet Van Dyne. <laughs> he's he's kind of left on the periphery of everything. Like, you know, when he snaps out of it, he's going like, yep, I've got nothing. I, I, I can't feel her at all. But, you know, he's actually just gone through this, what, five-minute scene where he's actually Janet Van Dyne. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely feel that he uh, – we're kind of – we kind of see – this world through through the the lens of, of um, Scott Lang, um, but yeah, he's, he's certainly an everyday guy. But he's accomplished as well. I mean, he's mastered the Ant Man suit. Yeah. He knows how it works. Uh, he even does a. I love his sleight of hand. So he, he's he's got some street smarts to him, and he and he uses that when he fights the ghost later on. 
Yeah, and also I love that you know you mentioned the magic tricks, the 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 close up magic. You know, I could mm. never do a card trick to save my <laughs> life. I'm good at the three yeah. card one. That's as far as I'll go. But I mean, I thought it was it was fun that they introduced this yeah. um, this fact that he's because obviously to keep himself busy, he's also yeah. learning close up magic aside from also playing drums. And apparently Peyton Reed is actually an accomplished drummer himself, and so he was oh, actually. Okay making sure that it was actually the way drums would be played and the way they would sound and everything else. Cause <laughs> okay. he, he was, he was very careful about that. But yeah, it was, it was, I really found that hilarious for sure. So yeah. let's get to the former associates of Scott's. Once again, we have, of course, Michael Douglas as Hank Pym and the aforementioned Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne, the Wasp. So, the, you know, their relationship has changed quite a bit since the, since the first Ant-Man movie where maybe they were a little bit more estranged and here they're actually a team. What did you think of, you know, these two characters in this film and, should we say, the new relationship they found or the closeness they found now? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of regards, it, it's, a different, um, it's a different duo, but um, on the other hand as well, they've still got that same intensity that they bring from the first one where they were working covertly to try and prevent uh, Darren Cross from... Um, you know, from mastering that the uh, pin particle tech, um, but here they're still kind of uh, driven and and quite intense on um, returning Janet Van Dyne from the quantum realm. Uh, both, I think, are very good. I I, I still um, I still just like Marvel. Pardon the pun. Um, at seeing <laughs> Michael Douglas in in a Marvel. Film. And him just kind of taking it with both hands and, and going for it. I mean, in no way do I think that he's, um, you know, just riding the wave of it and just calling it in. Uh, I think he's really loving it. I mean, there are moments where he actually goes in the quantum realm towards the end. Um, and I'm just thinking when I'm watching it, here's Michael Douglas. He's in a spacesuit and he's yeah. in the quantum realm. And I love it. Um, similar with uh, with Hope Van Dyne, uh, I touched upon it earlier. I just love it. I mean, the payoff is huge here because everyone kind of wanted to see her in the suit in the first movie. Uh, they got a reveal at the um, after the credits and the credits. And over here, we get a lot of action with her in the suit. And, and I just love the fact that she's so capable um, and she's so... She's so strong, you, you know. Um, everything that we we thought that would that thought that she would be, um, and her relationship with her dad Hank, uh, it, it is a lot closer. I mean, they are. Um, there's no rift between them, it seems anymore. They're they're both working towards a common goal. Um, and uh, Evangeline Lilly's, um, I guess, moments where she does interact or does reminisce about her mother, um, I think are really good, really touching. Oh, it is very much so. I mean, I think obviously. As I mentioned, you know, yeah, the, and another major change, you know, compared to our previous film is, of course, that before Hank and Hope were estranged and at odds, especially, I think, mm -hmm. more hope towards Hank, because I think he was doing his best to kind of get closer to her. But here, I think they are united over, like you mentioned, over Bring Back Janet and a well or truly a team, which I think is beautiful. Not to mention, mm -hmm. you know, we see how much Hank believes in Hope, seeing how hard he's actually worked on the Wasp costume compared yeah. to the Ant-Man one, which seems to be almost a bit of an afterthought, you know, because it's all like it's all yeah. about the Wasp costume. Um, I'm also glad that Hank was given more to do in this film compared to being just the grouchy old man with the mm -hmm. cool gadgets. As here, you know, you, you mentioned this 
well, you know, being such a personal mission, I think he's even more so involved. And like you said, he actually gets to travel to the quantum realm to rescue Janet. Not to mention, we'd seen this somewhat in the first film, though here I think even more so he's doing his best to be a good father to Hope. And I yes. think, you know, and so it's, I think it's wonderful. And, you know, Michael Douglas actually gets to show off some of his comedic side as well more so in this which (laughs) and i think he absolutely loved it because he you can tell he's eating up the scenery especially when he's either with michael pena or when when he's with paul rudd he just really loves it um yeah when it comes you know when it comes to hope i believe you know you had said that she at the you know in the first film she wasn't given much to do and here naturally we really get to see like you were mentioning how much of a badass she is as yeah. more often than not she's the one saving scott and her yeah. father is the one dealing with sunny birch on a regular basis when it comes to, you know because she's the one sorry dealing with sunny birch on a regular basis when it comes yes. to getting the parts to build and activate the quantum realm also i think it's beautiful to see that her and her father are working together that bond is mended and you can yeah. also tell that she loves being the wasp and the oh fact yeah you know, because we'd seen this also in the first film. She was kind of like, you know, I'm ready to go. You know, it's kind of like, put me in, coach. I'm ready. You know, this kind of thing. And he yeah. just wouldn't give her the chance. And uh, yeah. but, you know, and here, you know, she gets to show off her skills. And it's come full mm-hmm. circle for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, she's she's really like the polar opposite, if you think of it, um, to early Scott Lang, who was the reluctant hero. Uh, she's pretty much the person that will find any excuse to, to don the suit. Um, and and uh, you mentioned the um, the interactions with Sonny Birch. Uh, Walter Goggins, a great actor, yeah. um, who unfortunately I think was underused in this film. Uh, he, he's such a talent. Uh, um, I'll put a pin on that as well, but um, yeah, we will get just, to Sonny Birch for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, she had a great interaction with him, and that fight scene to introduce the the wasp, um, oh, just brilliant. You, you know, she she used every kit in the book, um, you know, whether it enlarge a, a salt and pepper shaker, um, you know, just kind of miniaturizing and enlarging at will. Um, when she interacts with the ghost, she kind of becomes intangible herself because she just you know just zaps. To, to, to miniature size, um, trying to counter the ghost's intangibility. And uh, I think it's just great. And, um, yeah, she, she's a really good asset to to the MCU. Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, granted, you know, we got to see, I think, a little bit of that in um, in Endgame. Mm-hmm. Not as much because you had so much going on. But, oh, yeah. But we, do, we did get to see a little bit of that, too, which was cool. Um, and, yeah, you know, you were talking also about the fact of the, the – um, the, the fight scenes, which I think are re- – I think they definitely stepped up their game when it comes to yeah, fights. Yeah, they did. Because yeah. the first one, the first one was good. You know, it was the, they were fun fight scenes, but here they just went all out, and I think they went to town with the whole thing of, you know, what can we enlarge and make it, you know, a um, a weapon, if you will. I mean, they went from yeah. from a salt shaker to a Pez dispenser to yeah. it was just it was just fantastic. Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the first film, um, one of the I guess the the climaxes or, or the finale was that Thomas the Tank Engine enlarging, you know, and that was like whoa, that was that's amazing. Um, but in this movie, just enlarging and miniaturizing things were done just to a masterful effect. You, you know, that was part and parcel of their their um, bag of tricks. So um, I think it was a lot more effectively used here. You could see that both Scott and uh, and Hope have mastered 
you know, the use of the pin particles and stuff. So, yeah, no, it, it was really good. It was, it was for sure. So, so before we get to one of our new additions in this franchise, I would actually take a quick look at our lovable trio, of course. Luis, played mm-hmm. once again by Michael Pena, Dave T.I. Harris, and Kurt David Desmolchin. So... When it comes to, you know, should we say to the new situation that our trio is in, you know, now they've started the business and, and all that, what did you make of these three? Did you enjoy them as much as you did in the first film? Um, I, I still enjoyed them. I, I, I can't say I enjoyed them as much as in the first film. I mean, that was still really good here. Um, what I mentioned before uh, with a little bit of repetition in the fact that, say, for me, and this is just personal, in the first film, one of the biggest laugh-out moments for me was when they reversed their van, right? They they come across, um, you know, security guards, and <laughs> Michael Penny goes, back it up, back it up, back it up, back it up. <laughs> you know, that, that was really funny. Um, when I mentioned, like, re- repetition, uh, very early on in the movie, uh, you got Michael Pena um, with Scott and Cassie at their house, and uh, he sticks his head out. Um, but then he's kind of, I can't remember what the scenario was. He mutters it to himself and he kind of does the same joke. You know, he, he kind of goes, back it up, back it up, back it up. And he goes back slowly into the, the window. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, they're just trying to do what they did in the first one. Um, so just those little things. Uh, I think there were some really funny laugh out moments with these guys as well. Um, more so from the understated, I think, um, can I say the Baba Yaga? I thought that yeah. was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- that really was a great chance for David Smolchin, who has a great, yeah. uh, great comedic uh, timing. Kurt is, yeah. it definitely gets a chance to shine in this. Yeah, I, I wonder if that was improv as well. I- I'm not sure if it was, but it, it just seemed like it was off the cuff because uh, it seemed just random. Uh, yeah. But it was really cool because uh, for those that don't know as well, and, and it is accurate, it, it is a, a traditional folklore um, fairy tale witch from from russia or, or um yeah so yeah <laughs> it, was, it, it, was, it was great yeah i, I yeah. totally agree i mean i did mention you know that the the major arc in this film is fathers and daughters and i think this can be extended to the concept of family here too because or one could say Luis is very much the patriarch in this family unit because mm-hmm. he's yeah. incredibly fatherly, even when he scolds Kurt and Dave on not buying expensive pastries, but eating <laughs> oatmeal packets. So it's almost like, you know, don't eat, you know, don't have um, ice cream first. Eat, you know, shut up and eat your, eat your greens kind of thing. So I thought that <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. It was kind of very, almost like a dad, I thought, um, yeah. which is fun. It, and it's always, I, you know, it is, I guess there were a few beats that were repeated from the first film but it was mm-hmm. it's always a joy to see these three on screen and, oh, and i think they did get to play their part also when it came to securing the lab you know that as i mentioned the MacGuffin in this film where oh, everybody's yeah. after it's almost like i would almost equate it to the suitcase in pulp fiction because it almost seems like everybody wants to get this mm-hmm. this uh, this um this object granted in, we, we never know what's in the suitcase but i'm not going to go down that road but <laughs> um but here it kind of reminded me of that because everybody's almost after the lab and they also you know get get pulled into it too so with that said let's as i mentioned let's get to one of the new additions in this film and a man who apparently is quite the superhero geek himself and it does not surprise me seeing as he's been in both marvel and dc films the one and only Lawrence fishburne as bill foster goliath um and of course you know as i mentioned you know we'd seen him we'd talked about him a little bit in as perry white in man of steel Mm -hmm. so you know, I'm sure you are familiar with Mr. Lawrence Fishburne. And so oh, yes. what did you think of seeing him as Bill Foster? 
Um, I, I was excited actually to hear that um, that Bill Foster would be in this movie because uh, having read the comics and knowing that he is Goliath, um, it, it was pretty cool. It was just like a nice little nod uh, to uh, to the comic book fans. Um, I thought he was great. I mean, he he uh, he really served the purpose kind of really well. He was the father figure if we're talking about families to the ghost. Yeah. Um, and and I kind of like how they retweaked that as well. I mean, there might be some purists who would be up in arms about Bill Foster and the ghost and and the ghost in the comics, but I, I think it worked really well here. Um, so yeah, no, um, I, I think there was also a reference to Egghead. Um, yep, that's right. Star, yeah, you caught Ed, it. Ed, well done. Yep. Yeah, um, so he was the father to the ghost. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, uh, no, Bill Foster, he, he was great. I liked his rivalry with Hank Pym because, um, again, I, I'm not too sure in the comics the level of genius of, of Bill Foster or not. I'm not sure if he's up there with Hank Pym and the likes of Reed Richards, but mm. I, I like this like, banter that they had and this kind of obvious hatred that they had for each other. Although, having said that, he does protect uh, Hank Pym and Scott Lang and Hope when they are on the run from Shield at the university. So that was a nice, um, that was a nice touch. But again, the, the, there was a bit of a twist um, to this. There was an ulterior motive uh, to them, I guess, connecting with Hank Pym. Uh, and uh, I'm, I don't know, I don't know, Nick. I'll be interested to know what you think. I, I'm a little bit, I'm not sure whether I really liked uh bill bill foster going down that route of being being kind of like the pseudo villain well you know what here's the thing you know one i mean i might be a bit biased because i'm a huge fan of lawrence fishburns i mean from obviously the matrix to today the man just has he is he has so much gravitas and he's such a fantastic mm. actor in everything he does i mean i've loved him even outside of superhero stuff i mean even in hannibal he's a mm. wonderful wonderful actor honestly i could not think of anybody better to play this part if you were looking oh, yeah. for should we say an older bill foster because obviously this is not bill foster in his heyday this is mm -hmm. obviously an, an older bill foster who's now teaching at university and what have you but outside of that um we you know we have a man who can go toe to toe and then some when it comes to genius intellect of hank pym at least in the mcu yes and it does not surprise me that the two of them would butt heads and <laughs> secondly I would actually consider him the heart, or dare I say the moral compass in this film, in the in the aforementioned paternal relationship that you mentioned that he has with Eva Star Ghost, because he's mm -hmm. prepared to put his reputation at risk and saves no expense when it comes to helping her out. Though at the same time, we see that he will draw the line at murder or anything that can be seen as morally questionable, which is why I feel he's very much a father figure in this film, and I do hope we get more Bill Foster in the future. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I, in the comics, of course, he's completely different. And Ava Star yeah. is actually a guy and Ghost is actually mm. a, a man in the comics and they've changed everything. But but I think it was necessary possibly to do that. And look, I know fanboys probably got their capes in a twist over this because <laughs> of the fact that that they probably were like, oh, that's not Bill Foster, you know, and all this kind of thing. But yeah. I, the way I see it is it's an adaptation. It's like, for example, yeah, I, I, I often go back to the example of The Lord of the Rings. I mm -hmm. love the films. I love the books. I know that folks have trouble with certain things, decisions that were made in the movies. But what I say is it's an interpretation of yeah. another thing. You have Tolkien and you have Peter Jackson. And yeah. 
and I think it's the same thing here. I think you have Peyton Reed and you have the folks from Marvel Comics. So, oh, look, um, yeah. Nick, I'd go, I'd go even one step further and, and say um, it is an adaptation, but it's another universe. This yeah. isn't the six. This isn't the Marvel six one six universe. You know, um, so yeah. the movies aren't trying to create recreate Marvel six one six. This is a, a universe in unto itself. So you do have the characters, but you just got to imagine them like uh, parallel universes or realities to what you read in the comics. That's how I see it. That's my head canon. I, I um, like that. I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So it's um yeah I I I don't mind some tweaking here and there. Um, uh, for the most part, I mean, I think Marvel, the, the MCU, do, MCU does get it right in the sense, you know, you, you do get the essence of the character, and that's what you kind of, you kind of want. Um, with the secondary characters, um, they play around with them a little bit more because they're they're second second tier characters, and and that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't blame blame them, I think, for playing a little bit fast and loose with certain characters mm. because also they think to themselves, when are we ever going to use these characters again? Let's have fun exactly. with them. So yeah, for sure. So I think it, it makes sense. You know, and, and of course, let's get to the next addition, new addition to this film. Uh, granted, we don't get much of her, but whenever she's on screen, she's always a joy to see. The woman for whom all the fuss is about, the one and only Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne, who actually, you know, had not been a, in a superhero movie since Batman Returns, of course, as yeah. the very memorable Catwoman. <laughs> Quite some time has gone. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's hard to imagine that Janet Van Dyne, like seeing her in this film, was the Catwoman, you, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> totally different, different roles. Um, and I love it for the fact that Michelle Pfeiffer can just turn that around. I mean, I know it's been a long time between that and, and Batman Returns, but um, she did and it, she did portray an indelible performance, I think, of Catwoman. So that, you know, that may have been a hard to shake if she returned to the superhero fold. But no, she did really well as, as Janet. Yeah, in fact, and speaking actually of the maybe the the differences compared to the comics, because you know I know you're very well read when it comes to to Marvel and the Ant Man character, and of course you know what Janet Van Dyne is like in the comics. Oh, Were yeah. you happy with this? Should we say older, wiser, almost dare I say evolved version of Janet Van Dyne compared to the comic comic counterpart? <laughs> uh, well, certainly compared to the the very classic original Janet Van Dyne, who uh, in the comics was pretty much only just interested in two things, just um, grabbing the attention of Hank Pym and her fashion sense. So <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't too much to her early on. Uh, and checking but, out all the other Avengers, all the hot Avengers. Yes, yeah, exactly. Oh, Thor, he's hot. <laughs> you know? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, she had, although a brevity of time in the film, uh, she had a lot more going for her in this as well. And, you know, we see her a lot in the flashbacks as well, which is um, very, uh, at the very beginning, the, the, like the prelude to the movie as well, I think um, showed her relationship with Hope. Uh, but, no, I, I loved it. And she's got this X factor, Janet, I'm talking about, because she's been in the quantum realm. She kind of brings something back with her. Um, so, no, she's great. And Michelle, just she looks amazing. Um, in the movie, if I can just say that as well. Um, absolutely fantastic. So, no, no, I, I loved seeing Janet Van Dyne as this iteration. And, you know, if we're looking at how it works with the, the greater scheme of things, you know, we've, we've got an older Hang Pym as well. So uh, it all works out really well. Um, e even also um, early on, there was a slight recap of their mission with that yeah. kind of runaway missile. That was so cool to see. Uh, no, really good. I think, I think, um, the Janet Van Dyne Wasp was portrayed very well. 
Yeah, because, you know, granted, you know, we don't have much time with her, but I certainly do hope we get to explore and go into deeper detail when it comes to this evolution that Janet has undergone during her time in the quantum realm, as she seems to have become almost a Jedi of sorts, you know, with, yeah. with, with the powers she seems to have gained. And if we ever do get an Ant-Man 3, I do hope we'll get to explore the, this more for sure. And it's it's hard to say, you know, whether Michelle Pfeiffer will come back because, you know, granted, she probably commands a certain kind of paycheck but mm -hmm. but she's absolutely perfect for this role and apparently peyton reed wanted nobody but her i mean i can't oh, blame right. him but yeah. apparently even in the first ant-man film where you briefly get to see like um the mask and they got to get to see the eyes he actually mm -hmm. asked the cgi people to make michelle pfeiffer eyes because that's oh, how much wow. the guy how much the guy loves her and this was even before she was even cast he's like wow. was like He's like rolling the dice here saying, hopefully yeah. I'll reach out to Michelle Pfeiffer and say, you know, yeah. are you interested? You know, and if it pays off, great. If it doesn't, oh, well. But it must have been a dream. Yeah, it must have been a dream come true for him because like that is a rolling the dice scenario. I mean, not that I am within the industry or know it, but that's a pretty big risk to to. I mean, granted, it's just eyes, so it can pass off as anyone. But um, it's a pretty big risk to think, OK, let's put in Michelle Pfeiffer eyes in there. Um, and to actually get her would have been such a boon. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I mean, it's in, and it, there's, there's just to be said also, Michelle does have these very sort of iconic eyes because very cat like mm. eyes. No surprise you play yeah. Catwoman, but, um, but yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it was, it definitely paid this gamble of Peyton Reed's definitely paid off. So yeah. let's get to the darker side of the table then, Ray, starting with a sympathetic villain, if we can call her a villain at all. I think mm -hmm. antagonist is probably a better term. Of course, we have Hannah John Cameron as Ava Star Ghost, who, of course, our listeners might know from Game of Thrones, Ready Player One, Killjoys and the Stranger. So when it came to to this, she was a new ghost who, as we mentioned in the comics, is actually um, a, a guy and is actually, I think, a C tier level character in the comics, I think, if that. Yeah. But uh, what did you think of the fact of using Ghost as an antagonist? Or should we say, or, or do you consider her a villain? Um, yeah, I'd say, um, no, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I was about to say sympathetic villain, but she's not even, I mean, she's fighting for her life. I mean, so you, you, you've got to uh, give her credit for that, I guess. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought the, the look of Ghost was pretty cool. It was a little bit of a strange one for me because uh, I, had asso I associate the Ghost more with Spider-Man, um, so more of a Spider-Man villain. Um, I'm also not sure. Iron Man as well. She play and he Iron plays Man. a big role with Iron Man, yeah. Ah, okay. Well, yeah, but um, I'm I don't think he's a regular villain for for Ant Man. So, um, mm, so uh, anyway, that was a little inch uh, again. MCU playing around with um, you know villains and heroes. Uh, but that aside, I think the aesthetic of the ghost looked really good. Um, I I kind of like the. Oh, I'm kind of I kind of torn as well because I kind of really like the premise of of the ghost um needing you know this this quantum realm like the lab to to help her um i, I would have loved that you know call me very simple that the ghost was um just this this character that was able to willingly 
become intangible and intangible and um, get to all sort of malarkey, you know, rather than have a uh, like a desperate plight, um, which which she certainly had. But you know, that's that's by the by. I mean, it, it still served really well, I think, for the story. Uh, she was great. I, I think um, I, I've seen a, a couple of episodes of. Uh, I think in the Killjoys, uh, mm-hmm. and you mentioned she's in Game of Thrones. Is she? Yeah, she makes oh. a brief appearance in Game of Thrones, but yeah, she's in Game of Thrones too. Yeah, okay, because yeah, I have seen her around. Like her face is very familiar. She's had. She has like, a very aspects. recognizable face. I mean, it's very. Yeah. Should we say? Um, I mean, she's a beautiful woman, but what very I'm good, saying yeah. is, she just has those features which are very, very memorable. I can see yeah. why she became an actress. No surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very distinct, uh, unique features to her. Like all, all very good. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, no, I thought she was great. She, she portrayed a, a very a good level of desperation um but there was enough in there for you as the audience member to actually um empathize with her with her as well and and that came across really well i was very glad that at the end she didn't die which a lot of villains well you know villains i say for her um seemed to do in the mcu so i'm glad that she kind of got away i'm a little bit sad as well that she she kind of lost her powers because uh, she in essence was was cured by janet van dyne with her Magic, uh, magic uh, quantum hubbleaboo. So, we do uh, find so, out she's still being treated because in the post-credit scene, uh, when they oh. send Scott into the re- into the quantum realm, which we will get to the the post-credit scene as well, um, he's actually picking up quantum energy for Ghost. Apparently, I mean, we don't uh, know. Uh, we, so we we assume that Bill Foster and um, and Ava Starr, et cetera, are still in contact with the Pims and with uh, with uh, with our heroes, and that's the whole thing. We actually, it's I mean, it's a very kind of offhand comment, but apparently right. he's going to contract to create uh, grab that energy in order to keep Ava stable. Okay. Admittedly, on the rewatch, I I didn't go to the end credit scene. Um, I just it's crazy. Marvel they always do it. I just totally forgot. But okay. Um, so well that that would potentially then open the door. I'd love to see her back. Actually, I'd like to say I'd love to see. We're talking about Michelle Pfeiffer. I'd love to see the whole ensemble cast, um, back and more integrated into the mcu maybe the other franchises i mean i just love to see hank pym and janet say mix it with um i don't know i mean we obviously don't have it now but like uh, i was gonna say um with with iron man but say i don't know with, with captain marvel a bit more um or dr strange definitely because would of the be great realm. Yeah, yeah, they could definitely uh, compare notes. I think, you know, yeah. having Doctor Strange sitting down with even Janet Van Dyne for a, for a little bit, mm. it would yes. make for an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, or even or even Thor as well, because these guys are broaching that quantum realm, which is such a... What I love about, again, this Ant-Man franchise is that they've become... Like, Ant-Man and his crew become one of the most important characters, like, in the <laughs> MCU. Like, you see it through, through the Endgame as well, how how crucial this quantum realm um, and time travel technology um, kind of eventuates. Uh, so I'd love to see them all in there. I'd love to see the ghosts back in there again, if, if they can get, if they can make it work, get Bill Foster back. Um, I think it would just add so much, uh, and, and it would really give a, a nod to the Ant-Man fans out there as well. I mean, they're, they're such great characters, even like Luis and, and, the, and the security guys. That'd be good. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you know, going back to, to Ghost here, as I'd mentioned before, you know, granted in the comics, Ghost is a full-blown villain. And here I think she's more of an antagonist more than anything else. And I love, you know, you mentioned this, the shout out to Elias Starr, who in the MCU yeah. is her father, who is actually the villain egghead in the comics. And we do see in the brief flashback that her dad is actually bald. So who knows? He could yes. be egghead. <laughs> yeah, granted, exactly. Granted, you know, as I mentioned, uh, he, uh, Ghost in the comics is more of a Spider-Man slash Iron Man villain in the comics, and I can see why. But yeah. she, the, the ghost here works perfectly for the story that Peyton Reed and his writers are telling in keeping with the whole quantum deal, as, you know, here Ghost's powers are more of an affliction than an actual gift. And we get to see that this ability was exploited by S.H.I.E.L.D. And we actually yes. kind of get the darker side of them as well. So it's like everybody who thought S.H.I.E.L.D. was fine and dandy and on the up and up, not so much. They actually have their dark <laughs> shades, too. I'm yeah. sure, you know, that um, ha had Ava not had Bill as her mentor slash father, she could have gone full-blown villain very quickly. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And here I think it's literally, as you were saying, a fight for survival for her more than anything else. And she probably would have gone to greater extremes to get what she needed, even coming to, to murdering people. Because that's why I think Bill Foster is such a big part in this, because he is her moral compass. Because she's like, oh, you know, um, Paul, um, Ant-Man's got a child. I'm going to go and do something about it. And he's like, we're not going to yeah. step to that, yeah. you know, that, that, that level. So, uh, yeah. And I Go also ahead. wonder as I also yeah wonder um, because Bill Foster and of course the ghost they they wouldn't have known um, they don't know why Hank Pym and Hope and Scott um, want the lab and, and what they're doing as well I, I feel um, of course as we mentioned Ghost is fighting for survival but I feel if if they had put across their case that, you know, they're trying to actually re retrieve a loved one that's been in there 30 years ago um, and you know, they're very close and they've only got a small window of time. Um, I know I'm sounding pretty silly because it comes down to like a round table of them just sitting down together and go, look, you know, um, let us just get Janet and, and we can help you with, but I guess she's running out of time as well. But I guess what I'm saying is Bill Foster as well. He, he came across as, as being like a bit of an antagonist as well, but I don't, I don't think he actually even knew the plight of, um, of Hank Pym as well. So, mm. um, yeah, that that makes a big difference. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that uh, you can't really cast them off as like evil villains because um, they don't know a lot of what's going on as well. No, no. As you said, there there is a lot of things that there's a lack of information on their part, and so. Mm. Had they possibly known the bigger picture, who knows? Yep. They might have all yep. just allied and, you know, been yeah. one big family saying, it will benefit me, it will benefit you, let's, yeah. let's all get together and do this. So it, it, you do make a good point with that. So, you know, you mentioned him before. Let's get mm -hmm. to the chap who we could consider the true villain in this picture, the legendary and amazing Walton Goggins as Sonny Birch. You know, me being a huge Tarantino fan, listeners uh -huh. out there will probably know him from Django Unchained, especially yeah. The Hateful Eight, and also, yes. you know, Justified as well. So when it comes to his character, you know, what did you make of the character of Sonny Birch as a villain and Walton Goggins's portrayal? Yeah, I think Goggins is great, um, as, as usual. I mean, and again, what I do is I like to actually scrutinise him a little bit more, only because I know he's such a great actor. So when I was actually doing the rewatch, I was paying close attention to, to Sonny Birch and how he was delivering his lines 
And Jeez Goggins does it with ease. He makes it so natural. Nothing looks or sounds or even feels like it's scripted for him. So I just want to give pay big respects to to um to Walter Goggins for uh, being a fantastic actor. Um, now I guess the point with Sonny Birch, it starts to kind of tease out. I guess some of the shortcomings for me for this film in the sense mm. that okay he is an antagonist but what we've mentioned so far and what we've come up to now with Sonny Birch is that there's just a lot of moving parts in this film and I think it's really great and very intricate that the writers have managed to um, um, kind of stitch all this together so if we go back to the very beginning um, what we have is we have the Pims trying to retrieve Janet that's like one storyline and then we also have um, Scott under house arrest. So he's being chased by Agent Wu of S.H.I.E.L.D. That, that's another thing that's in the mix. We also have then Bill Foster and the ghost who want to steal like, the, the lab. And that's so that's another band of, of characters. And then we have Sonny Birch as well, who happens to be, I don't know, a very sophisticated crook. He wants the lab <laughs> thing as well. Uh, then we also have the security, um, like Luis, because uh, they're, they're, they're an entity in themselves as well. So you get all these moving parts happening. And, and what I feel, um, we do lose a focus. So you mentioned, um, Nick, about Ant-Man 1 with, with Yellow Jacket it seemed a lot more focused and, and a lot more simple in that regards. Yeah. This is Scott Lang. This is the bad guy. It's pretty clear what the end objective will be. Over here, we know that, as you mentioned as well, rightly so, that the lab is kind of like the, the suitcase from Pop Fiction. Everyone's kind of vying for it. But what I feel is that it dilutes the effectiveness of some of the characters. And and Sonny Birch, I feel, falls under that category, unfortunately. Um, so Walter Goggins is, is I think, underutilised in this. Um, and also to the fact that he, I guess, in we're living, we're watching this in a, in a super world, right? And he's just a normal crook. So there didn't seem to be any, I guess, hook for him, for audiences to engage and really go, oh, cool. There's this criminal, this Walter Gog, this uh, Sonny Birch guy. He was just a crook. Um, so I felt he was a little flat. Um, and, and then kind of across the board, it could be said to an extent with the others, to the fact that, uh, to the fact that you know, as much as I enjoyed Bill Foster and the Ghost, um, I, I don't feel we got enough time with them, only because there was a large cast. And, and that's kind of, I just wanted to get it out there before I forgot that point. But um, I think Sonny Birch uh, really did. Uh, I guess trigger it for me in that sense mm. about his role in the whole whole film. So, so you know, because um, actually, before I wanted to, to share my thoughts on on this character. So, going on your point here, you would say that maybe Peyton Reed may not have balanced a bigger story as well as, say, for example, the Russo brothers did with Infinity War or yeah. with Endgame. Granted, okay, the scope is huge compared yes. to what we're dealing with here, but. You know, you did yep. mention there are a lot of different storylines going on. So, yep. should we say your main criticism is that Peyton Reed may not have, ba and his writers may not have kept it as balanced as they should have? Is that um, what you're trying to say? I guess, I guess to an extent, it's about balancing it as well. But again, you, you've hit it on the head. Uh, this is a lot smaller scale than Endgame. So all all the various um, pockets of, of uh, subplots and plots in Endgame and Infinity War, these are bigger than life characters, and and these are characters that we've been well invested in. You know, so so we're kind of we're in already. Like when we when we cut to a scene of Black Widow or Hawkeye, or we cut to a scene of Gamora and Star-Lord, you know, you know, we know them, you know, whereas in this Ant-Man thing, 
it's very it's a very good comparison because there are there's like a cast an ensemble cast that um Peyton Reed's trying to juggle and I think he does it well but I guess that they're not given I guess they're not given enough and we're not I felt I wasn't invested enough in them because this is the first time we've seen them as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about Walter, um, sorry, Sonny Birch and Ghost and Bill Foster, um, uh, so the likes of them, um, and this kind of unseen Janet Van Dyne who we see at the end. Um, but yeah, there just seemed to be a lot of threads happening in there, which um, yeah, which I felt was detrimental to it. It kind of yeah, it kind of watered it down a little in that mm. sense. You know, because I mean, you know, I, I granted, I, you know, you mentioned that you're enjoying Walton Goggins as, a, as an actor. And I have to obviously start by saying that he is a fantastic actor and, and his mm-hmm. performance is no different in this film. Granted, you know, like you were saying, he could be seen as an odd villain for a superhero movie. Mm. But it, it actually does work, though, I think, in a movie with a smaller scope and where everything circles around the aforementioned lab. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that he's almost a fly in the ointment, if you will, in this film. <laughs> yeah. As, of course, he's no Thanos, he's no Yellow Jacket, but that is, I think, what he aspires to be. Because he's desirous, I think, to rub shoulders with the big wigs, like Hank Pym or even Tony Stark. Because when he finds out that Hope is actually Hope Van Dyne, he's all about, oh, you know, let's get into business together. Because I think he wants to take it to the next level. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. a a street-level thug who wants to become, you know, as I said, a yellow jacket or dare I say even a Thanos. I mean, he really wants to get into those big leagues. Though I would say, though, in a movie in which the stakes are not the world being threatened, he works as and he acts as an obstacle to our heroes, reaching the ultimate mm. goal. Because you never really feel threatened by him, though. He could be considered maybe a threat as far as Louise, Dave and Kurt are concerned, because obviously, <laughs> you know, when we get that whole truth serum thing, it's it's hilarious. It's fun. But he is very much a non threat because we, you know, we're, we're used to seeing villains with super supernatural powers being able yeah. to incinerate people with in, in the blink of an eye. He doesn't have that. And obviously, yeah. Um, I guess that could have maybe been the criticism. I mean, would you have liked yeah. to have seen a more formidable villain or were you happy with this, shall we say, the way I kind of put it, the fly in the ointments, kind of the obstacle to people, to, to our folks getting what they have to get? Uh, it's actually, yeah, it is a good point. Um, and, and the way that you've kind of illustrated it, yeah, it does kind of, in the sense, because he, he he is the main, like he is the fly in the ointment, but but he is the truly the the evil bad guy in this in this film. But ironically, he's like the the most normal, if you can call it, you know, not souped up or anything like that. Whereas we have these larger this larger than life character in the ghost, who's who's visually and and I, I was very excited every time that she came on on uh, screen uh, because of her funky powers and stuff. <laughs> uh, she was pretty cool, um, but she wasn't really the villain she was someone you know you, you could totally understand where she came from straight away so i don't know i guess there was just these mixed messages for me um it, it, there was a blurred line as to um you know who the villain was but the villain not being i i know it's hard to explain but i guess it's just that if it's the big villain for me they should be the i don't know the most powerful the most threatening um and and if uh sunny birch is um is the fly in the ointment. I mean, that's good, but again, it's I, 
I felt a little um, deflated at that. You know, I, I felt a little shortchanged at having a, a big villain. But granted, I mean, from what you've mentioned as well, we are talking Ant-Man and this is like low-level stakes sort of thing. So he does, you know, he does fit within that mould. But, you know, if you look at Ant-Man's other um, villains that he's interacted with, say Taskmaster, who we'll see in the Black Widow movie, or, hopefully um, soon. <laughs> hopefully soon. I mean, he would be. He would have been great to be an Ant Man because he is. He is like classically the rival to Ant Man. Um, it would have been good to see him in there. He would have been great. I mean, like he's a normal, normal dude, but he does super things with his um, photographic reflexes. Uh, so yeah, um, roundabout answer to your question, Nick. Uh, I think I think Sonny Birch was was written um, for his role well in that but just um as an overall high level how it all works in the greater scheme of the the film i reckon that it lacked a a true big kind of villain or threat Mm. um yeah that's i think in fact is one of the main criticisms of this film is we don't really have a big threat of like oh you know Mm. if this guy gets something we're screwed and and something's going to happen so yeah Yeah. I, i guess they really were just want needed something to upset the ultimate goal of freeing yeah. Janet, getting the lab, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, so, sorry, Nick, but at the same time as well, it, it, you've got to give props to, to Peyton Reed for trying something different as well. I mean, mm-hmm. this whole thing, and, and again, like you, you've mentioned it with everyone's chasing the lab. I mean, that's really kind of in the um, in the same tone of, of kind of like a heist film, you, you know, where everyone's kind of chasing after this something. So it's different. It's not your classic hero villain film so i guess you've got to applaud that to an extent maybe i'm just more of a classic mold um I good just want versus to be... evil kind of thing yeah yeah mm. no which is i think is why a lot of people were maybe upset because it's like we want you know this is the mcu we'd like to see good versus evil it's like mm. you know the bad guy is going to destroy the world and we need somebody to step up and stop that from happening um yeah. but yeah i i also get where you're coming from and i think you know as i said in the movie of this scope where it's not the world being threatened but it's closer to home threats then i i guess i guess it works but you know, all in all I, I was happy to see walton goggins and hopefully hey mm-hmm. we might get him in the future maybe powered up and actually being able Ooh. to rub shoulders <laughs> with the rich and powerful villains you know a, well, he'll be a dangerous guy if he if he does yeah. yeah you know i i could see him like i don't know with maybe a, a norman osborn for example or or folks of this nature you know yes. and then getting his hands on certain tech you know maybe those those crooked business guys and if we maybe get him working for hydra or for aim or these kind of people that would oh, absolutely. be absolutely that yeah. would be interesting um yeah. but yeah so so that's 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 the, those those are my my kind of sort of musings on that so let's get to ratings then ray where does this movie rate for you on a scale of one to ten <laughs> um yeah so i guess to preface this as well when i first watched it in the cinemas uh, and i came out of it i was um, it wasn't what I was expecting and it didn't live up to what I was expecting as well. So I would have given it about a five and a half. Mm. Um, but in the rewatch now, um, and I really do think that, um, I know a lot of people kind of pan the movie and stuff, but for, for Ant-Man fans, um, I think there's a lot in there. Um, and the fact, the fact, I mean, uh, that there is a lot going on and there are a lot of subplots in there, um, it does actually... Um, you know, on a rewatch and stuff, it, it does make it a lot more uh, enjoyable, I guess, because um, you get to kind of 
you know, jump from from plot to plot. Uh, I guess it's because you're you're expecting that now, and, and on the rewatch, it's a, it's a different experience. So I'd give it about a six and a half for for um for on the rewatch. It's um a lot better than just a pass, um, but it doesn't reach it doesn't start to reach the heights of of say the first um, Ant Man for me. I will agree that it is maybe a step down from from the first film. I'm actually going to go half a point higher. I'm actually going to give this a seven <laughs> out, a seven out of ten. More than anything, because of the comedic value and the entertainment mm-hmm. value that this film provides. Because, folks, if you want to, you know, find a movie on a Friday night. Granted, you know, I don't know how many people can sort of meet up and watch something together. But hey, if you want to do, you know, like these uh, online rewatches together, this is an ideal yes. movie to do that. You know. Grab yourself a nice pizza or, or something of that nature, a beverage of your choice, and just sit down with your friends and watch this because it's a really fun ride. It's not, mm-hmm. once again, it's not Endgame. It's not uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, but it is a great fun time. I think it's, I would definitely pen this as a good movie to watch with friends on a Friday night. I think this is definitely the kind of, the kind of kind of film you want to you want to just grab a big bag of nachos and just dig in and watch this. That's I think the kind of film this is. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to also add as well that uh, although, you know, giving it 6.5, by no means is that the, the second and last time that I'll be watching this. I mean, uh, it is a good film to watch with friends. For me, it, it's kind of similar in the first film in that it's a nice comfort watch. It, yeah. It's something that you can slap on if you just want to um, feel good uh, and, and just you know, just relax for a while. Um, so I'll I'll definitely be watching these uh, this and rewatching it over and over again because um, I'll probably do that for most of the MCU films. But um, I, you know, I, I really do appreciate this film, uh, and and it is it does give a um, a level of enjoyment. Um, with, yeah, that that will just kind of have you coming back for more. Yeah. I mean, granted, you know, before we also, the other thing I want to say before we get to reading recommendations here, Ray, you know, in the post credit scene, of course, we'd had, um, uh, so we'd had, so we'd had Janet, Hank and Hope being kind of snapped out of existence by Thanos at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, um, our friend Scott Lang being trapped in the quantum realm. So everybody's like, oh, you know, what does this mean? It's super creepy and it's crazy. <laughs> and then, then we have the other crazy scene, which cuts, which I found very, very disturbing where, mm-hmm. where you know, there's, there's that public announcement, uh, emergency alarm on the TV and you have the ant playing the drums, which I thought was incredibly <laughs> creepy i don't know i was creeped <laughs> out right? i mean i don't know why it kind of seemed like like something m night Shyamalan would do in a film oh, right. where you know like the world's destroyed yeah. and you have cre- a creature playing drums it was really creepy but oh, um yeah. <laughs> that, that, that i don't know that's just me maybe i just have maybe i'm just easy to creep out but uh, <laughs> but uh, that, that aside moving on from here if we ever do eventually get an ant-man 3 what would you like to see? You know, what would you like, uh, you know, maybe for, if, if Peyton Reed comes back to do it, and I hope he does, but what would you like to see in Ant-Man 3? Well, well, Nick, I'm going to surprise you a little and mm. uh, and say that Ant-Man 3 is in the works. Um, nice. Uh, <laughs> it is. Uh, and the villain. So, I mean, you, you asked me who I'd like to see. It's hard to get this out of my head because... Um, his name, I think his name's John Majors. Uh, mm-hmm. I could have got his name wrong. And it's largely speculated that he'll be playing Kang in, in Ant-Man 3. This is what's been going around on the interwebs. Nothing's been confirmed, but um, I guess it's because of that kernel that Ant-Man is now intrinsically tied to time travel. So 
Um, there's been talk of Kang being in there. Uh, if you just ask me just off the bat, I guess I'd like to say, although I guess it won't happen, Taskmaster, as I said before, I think he'd be um, a really cool um, a really cool villain. Maybe even Crossfire as well, who Ooh, nice. I believe is the, the brother of, um, of Darren Cross. Yep. Um, so he, he would be cool. Just, just kind of like those classic um, villains uh as well but yeah yeah um i'm not sure just just more of the wasp as well of course um maybe a few really funky b-list um avengers villains like whirlwind or um (laughs) graviton would be cool but i think he's a bit too too much above uh he's way above ant-man's pay grade on that (laughs) Yeah. yeah Yeah. I, I think so too. You know, but but hey, it's it. You do make a good point, yeah. Because Kang the Conqueror is going to be going to be a fun one to see. And I guess mm-hmm. they've made Scott Lang into the MCU's Doctor Who. You know, the guy who mastered tra- yeah. time travel, I suppose. But yeah, it will be an interesting watch. I mean, if you know when we eventually get Ant Man three, you know, seeing that that COVID, that Mister COVID has decided to, decided to hang around, so we don't know when <laughs> when, when that will come out, but. You know, hopefully yeah. it'll be soon. And, you know, and speaking of great things you know, to, to enjoy now, Ray, mm-hmm. if you, when it comes to reading recommendations, what would you what would you uh, suggest folks check out, you know, when it comes to Ant-Man, either if they've enjoyed this film or if they want to find out more about this great character? Yeah, well, I, I had a look. I specifically tried to go for Ant-Man and the Wasp as well. Um, it's pretty hard to find uh, Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne together, because in the comics, I think they basically haven't been together. Um, So I'm going to cite, similar to what I did with Ant-Man before, uh, 2015's uh, Ant-Man series, Mini and the Astonishing Ant-Man. So that has actually Scott Lang, but it has his daughter Cassie Lang as Stinger. So she's kind of like the Wasp in it. Um, So you you get... kind of that dynamic uh not that she's anything like hope van dyne but you get something like that um also looking at the the classic ant-man and the wasp um i would definitely recommend uh, the likes of 2013's avengers origins it's ant-man and the wasp hank pym and janet van dyne uh, it's like a retelling of their um of their original like their origin um mm. and Further to that, because I'm a huge uh, Epic Collection fan, uh, there's only one volume so far. It's it's Ant-Man slash Giant-Man. It's the Epic Collection. It's the first appearance of of, of Ant-Man um, and, and I guess the Wasp as well. She's featured in it, Janet Van Dyne and Hank Pym. Uh, this is all the way back to the 60s. So it, um, it covers Tales to Astonish 27, and then it goes from issues 35 to 59. So a lot of bang for your buck there. But really... Funny tales, we're talking 1962 to 1964, uh, so please take it with a grain of salt. It's very much of its time, <laughs> the yeah. way things were written. Uh, but, yeah, highly recommended. I love that kind of classic stuff. Oh, well, hey, you know, when it comes to classic stuff, I'm I'm all for it. You know, I love that kind of retro kind of 60s stuff for sure. You know, mm. when it comes to me, I would suggest The Unstoppable Wasp, which yes. issues 1 to 8 from 2017 mm-hmm. by the wonderful Mark Wade and Alan Davis. Of course, by the time the Wasp got her own comic book series, it was Hank Pym's daughter taking on the role, but not Hope, the character played by Evangeline Lilly. In, no, instead, it's the adorable Nadia, who is Nadia, as, a, yes. as optimistic 
as she is nerdy and as ready mm-hmm. to inspire girls to take up STEM subjects as, as she is to fight crime and injustice. So it's, it's, it's definitely an enjoyable young adult comic book series. That's The Unstoppable Wasp from one to eight and featuring, of course, uh, Nadia Pym. We also mm-hmm. have, and I would suggest Ant-Man and the Wasp one to five from 2018 by Mark Wade and, and Javier Garon. It's, this is a fun caper that strands both Nadia and Scott Lang, who don't particularly like each other in the quantum mm-hmm. realm microverse where they try to do their best while getting home only for disaster to ensue it's a fun fast moving fun introduction to where the comic book versions of the characters are these days and also something that just might get you hooked on the current marvel comics out there in the process so definitely yes. check out uh, the unstoppable wasp and that man and the wasp and you know um here ray i was actually thinking to myself do you think we might ever get Nad- uh, nadia pym at some point I'd love to. She's a very intriguing character. And and when you mentioned the Unstoppable Wasp, actually, I was reminded of, um, of I can't remember, I was listening to a podcast and the writer was interviewed and uh, he does go into Nadia's, uh, I guess, mental issues. Um, mm-hmm. I think she has like bipolar. I can't remember exactly yeah. what her issues are, but he, he, he does it and he, he portrays it apparently quite accurately. So um, it, it's, um, she's a fascinating character. She's, there's also the fact because she was was she locked away or something for a long so she's socially point, yeah. yeah so she's socially not up to speed with everyone because she's she's been kind of kept away for a long time so there's that kind of dynamic with her as well um i just like to also point out as well nick <laughs> it's funny ant-man and the wasp by mark way 2018 um that is on my list uh it wasn't my cup of tea but it, it certainly has a a, a um now come to think of it, a, a pretty kind of Kirby-esque feel to it. It's yeah. There's these larger-than-life alien slash, I don't know, mm-hmm. encounter. It, it is funny in that sense. Um, I, I found it like it wasn't, again, it kind of wasn't what I was expecting, but I might have to do a reread because I do love Mark Wade as a writer, but when I read it, it just it didn't hit the mark for me. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you're right, you're right. I mean, Nadia and, um, yeah, and Scott Lang team up in that one. Yeah, exactly. And so, and and I think it'll be. I mean, Mark Wade. You know, not to go on too long of a tangent. Can you know? I think he's like an, a a fine wine. You kind of, or should we say, like a brandy? You kind of take a few sips before, like, I really, really like this. So, I would, yeah. I would actually. Mark Wade is great. Yeah. So, so yeah, definitely. I think those are those are great. Um, great recommendations folks so dear listeners if you want to be like ray and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice feel free to shoot us an email at happiness and darkness how at gmail.com we also really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show you can reach out with those also at happiness and darkness how at gmail.com feel free to show your support by giving us a like on facebook where you'll find us as happiness and darkness you can also follow us on twitter we're at high darkness pod or on instagram under him darkness also if you'd like to support the podcast and feeling generous you can check out the great tiers we have going on on patreon that's patreon.com slash happiness and darkness and we definitely want to once again thank ray for becoming one of our recent patrons we really appreciate that no worries sorry nick i just want to say yeah no I, I really i really love the show um i feel um quite privileged to to be able to, to be on the show as well so thank you so much for, for having us on but uh yeah no i, I Totally love the show. So, uh, yeah, the least I could do is try, try and support it. Well, we, we definitely appreciate that. And actually, you know, when it comes to you, Ray, and what you do, can our fine listeners find you on the interwebs? 
Yeah, so um, I've got a few podcasts that I, I do as well. Um, uh, mainly, well, most notably, I guess I do, uh, I'm known as the High Priest of Conchu uh, for Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. Uh, I, I'm also a Zod, I'm Ray Zod, I'm on the Last <laughs> Sons of Krypton, a Superman podcast. Uh, and I do, uh, I'm a Spider Baby, I'm I'm Spider Baby Ray. Um, I do, it's a relative, relatively new podcast. Our podcast is called To Know Her Is To Fear Her. It's based on the Spider-Woman, OG Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew. Uh, also, as well, I, I do a monthly appearance um, on the Capes and Lunatics with the with the uh, the fine people over there. At the end of each month, um, I do a, a Scarlet Spider um, kind of uh, discussion with Phil and Matt. It's, it's a lot of fun. But it, the, the easiest way you can find me um, on Twitter at Ray Ray Pod, so R E Y R E Y Pod, um, and that will take you to all all the podcasts that I do. But um, yeah, uh, drop me drop me a line. I'm I'm happy to chat. I love talking comics. Well, and definitely, folks, be sure to check out the wonderful things that Ray does. He's a wonderful chap to talk to, and he's always happy there to chat to to fellow geeks and fellow nerds. Definitely be sure to check him out. When it, when it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I also host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play traditional country, today's country, and everything else in between. For more about that and how and where to tune in, you can visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, feel free also to check out our latest project, Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where with co-hosts Zan Sprouse and Ray Rachel Friend, we're reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to the present day. If any of you folks out there want to get on the discussion and discuss your favorite Best Picture winner, you can hit us up at goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. That's goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. We also are, of course, on Twitter and Facebook. And, of course, superhero lovers, I also recently joined the Titan Talk family, where we, we recently discussed the second season of Doom Patrol with my good friend Charles Skaggs, and currently on the Fandom Zone podcast, where once again with Charles Skaggs, I'm discussing the second series of The Boys. Speaking of things to come on this show, next week we'll be joined by a plethora of great hosts to discuss the 2018 Ryan Coogler film, Black Panther. For our 60th episode special, of course, remembering the wonderful Chadwick Boseman. That said, when it comes to you, Ray, once again, I look forward to having you back here on Happiness and Darkness. And I certainly thank you very, very much for joining me today. Oh, no, thank you so much, uh, Nick. It's been a pleasure. It's been it's always fun to chat movies with you and comics. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I think we're on the same wavelengths for, for a lot of things. So uh, nah, happy and, and a huge thank you. Oh, well, I definitely appreciate you. Well, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next week with a great group of co-hosts and Black Panther. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people. Hello, world, hear the song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. Is what we'll be bringing will make you happy.